Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers, what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. In today's episode, I bring you not one, but two guests as I speak to Rob Ferrone and Adam Blomley of Quick Release. Having started out as contractors, Rob joined forces with his co-founder, Adam Grant, to launch Quick Release in 2003. In Rob's own words, they were two XL types who saw a gap in the market and wanted to create a fun company of like-minded data geeks. It was shortly after this that Adam Blomley joined and brought with him his famous five-year plan, something that we discuss in today's show. This saw the start of the transformation of Quick Release, moving them from a provider of quality automotive change management resource into a fully-fledged product data management consultancy. Over the following two decades, Rob and Adam set about scaling the firm to help achieve their goal of world domination, growing from a team of just four into a global consultancy of over 200 people. Rob and Adam were fantastic guests and share some hugely candid insights into their journey and what it takes to grow a successful consulting firm. In this conversation, we go into detail on a whole host of topics, including the early days of QR, 
and how they were able to go from day rate contractors to building and scaling a successful consulting firm. The lessons that they've learned over the last two decades building quick release and the key steps that helped them grow to where they are today. And Robin Adams' detailed advice for anyone looking to build a successful career in consulting. I really enjoyed this conversation with Adam and Rob. One of the key values of quick release, as I found out in this interview, is quite refreshing. It's that they dare to be different, bringing a new approach and a fresh perspective. And Rob and Adam certainly delivered that in this conversation. So with all of that said, sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rob Ferrone and Adam Blomley. Rob, Adam, welcome to the show. Hello. Nick, thank you very much. Hi. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, especially, Rob, after you've, you've just told me you've been practicing today with some other interviews and, and some other press pieces. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm expecting big things. Why don't we kick off, for those who maybe don't know yourselves, don't know the, the QR story, with, with just your background and, and you know, how you got to, to where you are today? Yeah. Adam, do you want to go first? No, I think founder's privilege. You, okay. you, you have the floor. <laughs> This privilege must be running out soon. <laughs> I thought we stopped with that when we made you CEO. Um, so, it, yeah, my background there. My father is Italian. He came over to the UK when he was 16, met my mum. It's not therapy, um, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, there's, there's, a, there's a punchline at the end of it, you see. So I, it's like closing the loop. And... Um, so yeah, they, I, I came onto the scene. We were born in Bournemouth, studied up in uh, Warwick Mechanical Engineering, and um, kind of already knew then that I wasn't going to be an engineer, although I had a technical mind. And um, moved down to London, started working with um, Ford Motor Company in the material handling department, and then uh, did a short stint at the Millennium Dome, amongst other things, around about 2000. And yeah, then um, went over to Genk in Belgium for a project there where the kind of idea was born around uh, quick release. And um, yeah, in about 2006, moved to Cologne in Germany for, for the first big project, I'd say. And um, yeah, since 2006, I've been uh, living in Germany. And uh, just the other day, um, I, I got my German uh, nationalization as well. So that was the, the closing the loop bit. But <laughs> fulfilling the, uh, the, the, the migrant uh, the family. Congra- congratulations. Story. Thank you. Adam, do you want to give us a, a yeah, run okay. through? Yeah, okay, so, yes. Where were you born? Uh, uh, born in Bury. Uh, I, I like to say Lancashire, even though they moved the boundaries in 1974, just before I was, I was born and it became Greater Manchester, but still Lancashire to me. I um, grew up in the northwest. I think career is, is an interesting word in many respects because normal sort of understanding of the word career implies a certain level of sort of forethought and planning and working towards something and I would say especially in my 20s a career is something that happened to me rather than something I put a great deal of thought and energy and effort into trying to figure out so anything that you 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 do in the moment my career is checkered I would say I've been a teacher I've been a profit manager designate i've worked in corporate events i dj'd in a bar and various other things and all of those uh, and three trips to university eventually sort of led 
a path to Rob's door in, in 2007. And that's where my story and, and my career really began, I, I would say. You've given me a tough quandary there, Adam, because I, I, <laughs> I really want to dive into that because I think it's particularly in our sort of industry where the career path for consultants is quite well defined. I think there's a, a really interesting part there. I guess, why don't we, why don't we start? We'll come back to the origin story. And actually, you obviously went through various things in your 20s, you know, that career happened to you. What was it about QR and, you know, meeting Rob and, and Adam, you know, the co-founder? What was it that turned that from you know, a chance happening into a career that you've obviously stayed in and, you know, climbed in and, and grown to where you are now? I think the thing that worked between the three of us is that although I did have this sort of patchwork career in my 20s, it's not to say that I wasn't learning things along the way. And although it took me until I was in my 30s and 40s to realise exactly what it is that I was doing in my 20s and actually doing quite well. It doesn't mean I wasn't doing them. And so if I look back, I'd say there's sort of three things that I did particularly well in my 20s. The first thing is that I grew a network and, and I made some really, really good friends and made friends in, in the right way by being interested in other people uh, rather than um, being interesting. And that's that's often the one of the mistakes that, that people make. And so I had a, a very strong network of friends around me. I often, without really thinking about it, said yes to the more difficult opportunities that were, were in front of me. Uh, and, and learning to say yes to difficult opportunities is, is, is a real sort of life lesson that, that people can learn. And then the third thing I was doing without really realizing it with that is um, I was often putting myself in the learning zone. And so I was learning lots of very diverse skills from how to teach people how to manage accounts and, and do business development, bits of business insight that were instinctive rather than taught. And actually then all those three things, I would say when when I got together with, with Adam and Rob, suddenly had a, a platform and an environment in which to sort of thrive and grow. And I can only thank Rob and, and Adam for, for providing that for me. But that's the ingredients that I would say that came together at that moment in time. But if you'd have asked me that question in 2007, you'd have got a very different answer. <laughs> well, I will come back to those because those are some, I know, I know we were talking about sound bites before we started recording and there's some great bits in there and, and, and really powerful things as well. Because I think, you know, a lot of what you've talked about there will, We'll come on to your advice for the the team you have now and for you know junior consultants but there's some massively powerful things in there and actually I deliberately only research up to a point with these interviews because I, I kind of like finding things out on the fly is this might be your point around network Adam but it occurs to me just from your your sort of your brief bios that Rob you were in Cologne in 2006 yeah Adam you were in Lancashire Manchester you'll let you decide where it was at that time <laughs> how did you guys meet how did you this chance meeting come so that Adam you could put all of this together as you said and and you know you built the firm from where you did what well, we were probably four steps removed Rob maybe or three yeah. so from my end I was uh, really good friends with Adam Grant he and I used to live together in Nottingham we were both at the same university uh, Nottingham University but at different times he's a couple of years older than me and when I finished my undergrad it was in genetics so nothing to do with 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 what we do today I hadn't <laughs> unsurprisingly got a plan 
other than I decided that I didn't want to live at home with my mum and dad. So I went back to Nottingham and started looking for, for, for room shares in the um, in the small ads in the in the local paper and then took a room out in a house with the four randoms. Uh, one of those randoms turned out to be Adam Grant. And we, yeah, we lived together for quite a, a number of years, very, very happily in Nottingham, became great friends. And then Rob's side of the story sort of comes from the other direction. Maybe I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you <laughs> paint that picture. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We're, we're, it's, in many ways, it's a lot like being married, so we kind of know each other's stories. And, <laughs> and my, my wife will tell you that I, I probably know more about these guys than I do about her. So, yeah, the, I, when, um, when I was working in material handling in, in Essex, I became very good friends with a guy called Steve Grant. And Steve's a brilliant guy you know, talented, but also very open-minded. And um, so we, we hit it off straight away. And we, we would always take off on, on weekends and do like short European trips or just do crazy stuff together, just, you know, just enjoying life. And um, when I um, went over to Belgium and I was getting ready to move on from the customer that I was working with, they didn't want to lose me. And they said, you know, do you know anyone that can backfill you? And so I messaged around friends and um, Steve contacted me and said, oh, my brother Adam, who I think was at Rolls-Royce at the time, was looking to, you know, change. And, um, yeah, so that, that was the kind of fateful moment where, you know, Adam came over and, and luckily it fitted in the sense that he was very, very good at what we do. And he was a lovely guy. And uh, we actually started kind of leapfrogging f- through different customers. And then, you know, sort of soon enough, I started to get to meet Adam's friends, you know, like Adam Blomley. And, and the, all of them had, you know, big legends, probably none as big as, you know, the legends that go with Adam Blomley. But yeah, and that's, that's, the, uh, that's the connection. And I, I think that brings us nicely, actually, because I and advance warning, we're going to jump around a bit here, chaps, but I'm I think I get the feeling you'll be all right with that. Is it's actually all the way back to that, you know, that origin piece, Rob? Because I think one of the things when we were chatting before the show, you know, you mentioned in one of your emails around that you you and Adam Grant were just two blokes doing some good work that that led to a business. And I'd almost I want to pick into that, but the, the first thing that that sort of prompts me is actually how you decided to to start a business. Because I've spoken to a number of people for the show and and just in my network and personal experience as well you know I, I had a, a previous business fail with a business partner and actually I think that's a, a massive decision to to go into business with someone was it ever a decision or was it more of a it just grew organically from this leapfrogging that you spoke about yeah I mean a bit like Adam says so I never really had a because people ask me regularly you know what what was your vision behind the company where where did this idea uh, come from to create a company or a business and um, it was never there you know I, I did this role and, and I really enjoyed it and I saw that there's massive value in doing it and when Adam uh, came on board and and you know I, I kind of trained him up and handed over is this Adam G or Adam B this sorry. is Adam Grant yeah and so we, we so uh, yeah Adam, so Adam Adam Grant and I we, we just got chatting and said look this is what we're doing seems to be really popular and and everyone's really you know happy with it and it and it seems to be new not many people seem to be doing it and you know this would be a great idea for you know a group of people and and it was you know the idea i think was more of a collective of, of slightly geeky people who enjoy doing that type of work but who who are also you know up for having fun and and just enjoying life and it was a means to an end really and that was the i guess the founding idea and and it worked, it worked quite well and it was actually it was the, the kind of difficulty and challenges came along when we actually then decided to try and formalize it and 
you know, do things like, you know, create the, um, the, the legal entity and uh, you start employing people. I actually think you sell yourself slightly short there, Rob. I think the spark of genius that you did have is to recognize the value. The, the, the business bit with hindsight is, is the easy bit because you have to sort of put yourself in the mindset of the time where as UK nationals, the tax environment for people who were single trader limited companies before IR35 got too onerous, before all the tax regimes around dividends changed. So there was a, a population of people who were limited companies working all around Europe in, in, in all different industries. So I think without realizing it, that's the space that you were in. So the, the step to then create a, a company, a limited company for two people rather than individuals, limited company and give it a name it is relatively easy in that in that environment. But the spark of genius is to, to see that what you're doing has has value and is different enough from what everyone else was doing to actually to try and make something of this probably highlights the differences between us in the sense that adam thinks that <laughs> creating a business and running a business is straightforward <laughs> well, yeah, well you're gonna have to do it anyway otherwise you're gonna pay more tax <laughs> your accountant <laughs> would have said make a business <laughs> yeah. yeah and that, that that's actually something we'll probably come on to talking about later on but it that was one of the easy roots in um, you know we, I've met so many people recently who have had to seek investment and they they start you know in the red and it takes them many years to get into the black and but we were because we had revenue streams it made that life a lot easier in that sense so that that was at least that wasn't stressful I think there's there's an and I can sense the different personalities so I think there's a whole load of things we can cover just because I I'm channeling inner listeners and, and just people I speak to and sort of Adam I get what you're saying around the sort of how with hindsight it's easy and I think the interesting thing is I speak to a lot of people in our space who who are very risk averse or just running a business isn't their thing you know they, they're great at what they do but the idea of having to run payroll and and HR and and finance and all of that just sort of you know, that's far too much. And I, I'm interested almost, because it sounds like, Rob, for you, there was, and I know you mentioned this in, a, in sort of our emails, of it was a huge jump to, step one, there was a jump to formalize it with, with Adam Grant. Then there was actually, right, we're going to start hiring people. And actually, what was it that got you to the point of being comfortable to do that? Was there any conversations you had? Was there any questions that, that led you to be saying, yeah, we can make that move? Well, the, it was, this, this is a good point to probably start talking about the dynamics between the three of us and why it took a third person, and luckily it was that was Adam and his personality, to actually then create the momentum. Because when Adam Grant and I, we're, we're, we're quite different people. And, um, you know, where I was a bit more outgoing and, and saw opportunities and had quite you know probably had this optimism bias too much um, Adam Grant was very you know thoughtful and cautious and, and risk averse and you know was considered and I, I think you know um, in, in many ways that was that worked really well together and so but actually it could be, you, you could quite quickly get into a deadlock where for example if you're talking about you know new employees Adam is saying, well, look, there's a lot of risks associated with this and, you know, do it. Yeah, it's going to make life more complicated. And I'm saying, well, let's just do it. And so in, in, in the end, I think um, I wore Adam Grant down and, and he said, well, OK, uh, let's just do it. And, um, you know, I, I said, well, look, we'll, we'll do it and then we'll, we'll, we'll put things in place to mitigate the risks that you're concerned about. And and so we, we fortunately made that step. But. I think if the business had just been run by Adam Grant and myself, 
we would have always had these kind of not polar opposites, but we would have had this dynamic. And it actually took someone like Adam Blomley to come along, who has a little bit of us, you know, so Adam Adam kind of, you know, understands the big picture and sees the risks. He's also quite uh, positive and, and daring. But, you know, he has this um, energy and, and vision around him that then, you know, created this dynamic, which then spun the three of us into into growth and and forward drive. It's a really interesting point, and Adam, I guess, interested to get your side of that story as well. I mean, and help me, chats, because I, I sort of have a rough timeline. But where was Adam Adam Blomley? Where were you in the sort of the journey in terms of how how big was QR? And and also, what was that conversation? You mentioned live with Adam Grant. My employee number was number four. Um, so there was one other person before me who was an employee. And initially for the first 12 months, so I was 30 at the time, I just finished, uh, I went back to university uh, to do a a one year uh, master's in IT, focused on Java programming. And and I had this sort of half an idea that I would go into the world of programming and and, and possibly would have been still there if, if I'd not met rob and yeah so i so i came in as 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 number number four or the second employee but actually it was for the first 12 months i I was sort of a subcontractor effectively uh, and that was because i didn't have any automotive um, industry experience so those guys very sensibly wanted to see whether i could do the job and also it, it was a big step for me working in germany and living in the uk so so i actually um yeah just subcontract for the first 12 months and over that 12 months loved it loved the industry but but even more loved the business and at that point we decided to to make it a more long-lasting and binding relationship and I started to buy in um in, in into the equity side of the business and and ceased to be a subcontractor but yeah it was about I, I was I, there was one other person in the door before me and I was 30 31. Yeah this is um it probably is a good place to highlight the typical conversations that go on between us where you know Adam, Adam Blom after this time said you know I'm really keen to you know, grow this company with you and I think there's something potential there but I want a part of it and Adam Grant and I looked at each other and said right well crikey how does that work and Blom said well luckily I've got a plan here I've, I've got this mechanism for doing it and I've worked it all out and um, you know Adam Grant and I said all of that that, that kind of looks seems to be okay <laughs> and and yeah we love working with him and we want him to be part of this and this this guy seems like he he's going to take the company forward so uh yeah let's just go along with what he says and i think that you know that that's that's kind of been the, the modus operandi for the for the rest of the the growth of the company i think and on the exit as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. on the deal so yeah <laughs> So it will come back to the the deal. And I, I do want to dig into actually what was in the plan. Because, I, you know, for those who don't know you, obviously, you, you grew the business from four of you to, well, you're just over 200 now. Yeah, t- 211 fee earners, uh, then executive, and then a, a back office team is probably another sort of 10 to 12. Uh, and then we've got a small number of subcontractors, sort of 10, 10 or 11 subcontractors. And so that's where I think the, the five-year, your framework, your business framework is going to be, I really want to dig into because I think there's there's a lot in there for people who, who want to scale their own businesses because there's a lot of consulting firms who don't ever get to that size, be it through choice or just be it through that's where, you know, where their business has taken them. But I, Adam, I'm interested in almost, and this might be another area in terms of sort of life lessons of 
it sounds like you had this thought, obviously, before you took it to Rob and Adam, that look, I want to be a part of, of Quick Release. And I really like, and this is what I want to dig into in terms of, you obviously put this plan together. You know, It wasn't a case you went and were just like, I've been here for six months. I want a bit of equity. You obviously you know, put some thought into this. I, I'd, I'd love to find out a bit more around that thought process of almost, when did you decide that? And, and how did you approach that to get you to that plan, to get you to that conversation? So this is this is what I was sort of saying in the bits of things that I I learned in my twenties, but without really realising what they were. So I did through various different opportunities, sort of develop some business idea and some business acumen. And I haven't really got a better word to describe it than that. But it's it's not as if I was MBA trained or or, or, or come through a um, a sort of a big four consulting background. But I was interested in business, and so I I had some of the knowledge, uh, or very little of the knowledge, but but some, and, and probably more confidence in that knowledge than would probably be warranted so armed with a little bit of confidence and a a little bit of knowledge there were certain things that just seemed quite clear to me that, that what we needed so if we needed a plan we needed to say in five years time where we were going to be so that we could say to the people we were talking to whether they were clients or prospective employees okay, this is where we are today, but don't worry about that. You're not going to be working for a bunch of contracted cowboys. We're a business, we've got a plan, and this is where we're going to be in five years. So it was able to sort of buy us that breathing space in the very early years to convince people to come and work for us by saying, this is where we're going to be. And I do remember the first five-year plan that we put together. It's pretty simplistic. We just basically said we want 50% revenue growth year on year but it was in early 2009 that we sort of put pen to paper on this so right after the crash so it it seemed quite daunting at the time and I remember thinking god if we make this it's going to be so good Uh, it's (laughs) but almost kind of like this is beyond the 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 sort of the 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 edge of expectation but just by saying it and putting it out there and thinking, yeah let's go for it it sort of gave you something to 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 shoot for and so that i mean we call it a plan and it it was a plan but it was three lines on uh, (laughs) one word document uh, and a little graph (laughs) and that same graph that i then put in every annual report we had for the next sort of five or six years And yeah, and was that that was the plan that you took? So because I'm just trying to, to sort of place it. That was the plan that you took to Rob and Adam and said, "I think we can deliver this. Give me a route to equity, and I I will deliver this." So I'm just, I, I'm I don't think I don't think it would have been was it not quite as formal so as formal as that? It was it was yeah, I want to be involved, but um, I want I want some some equity, and around the same time, as well as talking about whether to order pens or not, we also spent some time putting this plan together. But, but most importantly, it was it was sort of looking at each other and saying, right, are we up for this? Let's do it. And, and, and sort of looking each other in the eye. Or maybe me and Rob looking each other in the eye and, and Boris um, or Adam Grant looking <laughs> <laughs> nervously at his watch. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Adam Grant did warn me. He said, look, I, I know Blow. I've lived with him for many, many years. And this could be either the, the best thing we've ever done or the, the most risky <laughs> I uh, think that we, we've ever entered, but luckily it was the uh, former. And just on that point, Robin, was there a much of a conversation around that? Because I guess for any business, there's a, you know, you've you've done a certain amount of work to get it to where it is. Was there a conversation about 
do we bring Adam in or not? I'm just interested around, you know, what some of those questions you may have asked yourself were and what made you decide, yeah, we're, we're both comfortable with this, let's go for it. No, I think it was a very quick decision in the sense that, you know, Adam's a very charismatic leadership type and he has this, you know, infectious ambition and, and you know, vision. And it, we knew that, that that was going to be the thing that was going to take the company forward. So we we all you know had our part to play, and I I was always the person that had a lot of you know customer contact and was building the network. And Adam Grant was really in the details and the execution, and was all about quality. It just fitted, and we somehow we just knew that we were going to be together. And also Adam is a, a really open guy and very modest, and and he he's never comes forward and says this is how it is he's saying that i've been thinking about it and i i think it could be like this and you know what what do you guys think i'm you know i'm open you know he's not at all pushy so it was um in this i guess in the same way that i, I saw the the value of what we were doing back you know at the very start of the company we just saw this this value in Adam and we knew that if we were going to have a future, it was going to be with Adam and, and therefore it was a no-brainer really to, you know, sign him up and, and get that commitment from him. And it, and it was quite, I thought it was quite nice actually that Adam, or it was impressive that Adam had thought about it like that. He didn't, he didn't just say, you know, give me a big salary or, you know, I want to do it in this way. The fact that he wanted to be part of it uh, made us think that, okay, this guy's serious and he's committed and, and you know he's you know dedicating you know some of his salary to it and and the fact that he was buying into it and and that you know not just not just you know financially but the, he 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 wanted to to make it into something bigger and better and that just came across and so yeah so you'd set out this plan to hit fifty percent growth and you've you've come on board you know, there's the three of you now and as sort of the, the founder directors. I'm fascinated, though, and it might be, you know, this this fast forwards us a bit, but those sort of early few years when you were aiming for that 50% growth, I mean, what were some of those key, if not aspects from the plan, things you did? Because again, this is something that I think when people talk about either growing a business or, or looking to do that, you know, in consulting, those are quite bold numbers, 50% year on year. And actually, what was it either in terms of the structure, in terms of the offering, in terms of the model that allowed you or that you had to focus on to really achieve those so this is where my sort of pre-recording comments um, start to, to, to be relevant, is that we didn't really have an offering or not one that we'd ever thought about to articulate particularly, and certainly not one that we thought about in the context of the wider industry. There was just some work and some competence that we had, and that was that was simply our offering. And really kind of like the the sort of the inflection points that the two kind of very early inflection points um, would be deciding to recruit graduates. And that was like a then opened up this whole kind of market of, of, of potential uh, great people to us. And, and the other was like, OK, we've got two clients and we need more. And Rob doing the do and uh, and figuring out how to sell to a large blue chip uh, company like Ford and, and get us on the books uh, with our own supplier code and that kind of stuff were the two sort of early inflection points from my point of view. And the need for those was driven by the fact that we had this plan and we had to get more work and get more people to deliver that work. But it wasn't any more 
there was no more depth to it than that, I don't think, um, which um, the depth came later. Um, it, it was just very much this this very simplistic plan and that drove two very simplistic needs. You got four of you. You need more people. You need more business. Why graduates? Because I know a number of firms and I've had guests on this podcast who deliberately go the other way and say, actually, we're going to hire senior hires less management, they can go and deliver work on their own. You almost, it sounds like, went the opposite way of, of grads. What, why did you go that route and, and almost what were those benefits and, and challenges it caused? Yeah, so the, the decision to go for grads, in my recollection, was was quite an easy one because the work that we did involved managing data and, and managing information as opposed to big data or, or data analytics or anything like that. But there's a, there's a a core element of of handling data in it that lends itself um, to younger people and and smart sort of STEM graduates. And also there's the sort of the industry, the automotive industry that that we were operating in at the sort of price point that we were operating in at the time, the experienced hires tended to be jobbing contractors who had the sort of the systems and the knowledge that we required on paper but we knew a lot of them and we knew we knew the type and they were really not the sorts of people that we wanted in our business so actually the decision to go for experienced consultants or or young graduates was 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 pretty clear for us from from very early on and not not a difficult one to make at all what's actually harder is that now that we've got bigger and we can't just entirely rely on on graduate intakes is how do we learn that bit that we never did at the start which is to bring experienced people into the business and 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 create the right experience for them and then to just to go full circle and that sort of bit leads on to how did that model evolve and and where did you decide that need for the the experienced hires i think you know before we spoke you sort of said it was it was more organic it was an awakening it wasn't a a sort of a conscious you know step-by-step plan but how did that model evolve from like you say you know initial we'll take graduates because they're better than contractors for us through to, to to more of a deliberate model than where you are now when did it change i mean it, it's it started to change over time when we started to try and put specific people into specific roles for specific needs that the business had rather than just a generic blank sheet of paper bring in a talented person and then let them find their own route um, through so yeah over time as we've started to feel that need then that's driven us to try and figure out other ways to try and fill that need for example when we've had good years in the past and we've won lots of new accounts and lots of new projects you suddenly find that you don't have enough of that middle layer in order to manage those accounts or to manage those projects Uh, and maybe if it was a different group of people running the business and it wasn't their first rodeo they may have been able to see that coming we were working from instinct and from from our own experiences and the things that we saw in front of us and so maybe had to go through that (laughs) process first in order to learn the fact that we we needed to have a a different way to grow that middle layer um, rather than than just pulling people up through the business so it's scenarios like that that have always sort of made us take a step back and think, actually, there's there's something missing in the business and there's, and there's lots of other similar scenarios. I remember, for example, we did one of these surveys uh, where we wanted to understand 
what our clients thought of us, what our employees thought of us and, 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 and this sort of thing. So we had a, a third party do a survey uh, and a lot of that um, survey came back with some really strong positives, but some clear fault lines around a great experience of people at the start of their careers, not necessarily the right company for somebody who's looking at the middle part of their career, for example. And other bits of feedback or feedback from the client saying really smart people really know what they're doing great work ethic deliver great value could do with some gray-haired people in to steer the projects and manage stakeholders that kind of thing and so at that point we had a shape of the business that had evolved from the fact that we'd grown and so we had people coming in at the bottom doing consultancy projects paid work the best ones of those we promoted to be team leaders and they managed other people doing projects. And then we got a bit bigger and we were like, okay, we now need people to sell more work. Uh, Rob couldn't sell it all himself. So we took the best of our team leaders and made them responsible for selling more work. Then we got a bit bigger and we need some people to own chunks of the business to be strategically responsible for chunks of the business and we took our best salespeople, who were the best team leaders who were the best consultants and said right okay you own this part of the business and that was great for 10 percent of the company who were the right shape to be a great consultant a great manager of people a great seller of business and a great owner of a strategic part of the business for everybody else it was a glass ceiling at some level, you had some great people managers who just weren't interested in selling work and managing accounts, great people for managing accounts who weren't interested in strategy. So, again, that was another example of where we received some input, some feedback or some experience around what was happening in the business and then went away and thought about how we changed to overcome that. And there's there's a really interesting piece within that of almost and, and the point you made around none of you had come from this background it wasn't that you you'd been at I don't know Accenture PwC and you know, other consulting firms are available but you hadn't got a, a playbook you were doing this off you know like you say it was your first rodeo how did you discern what were really things that you needed to look at seriously so like you said this point around you know glass ceilings versus things that maybe were just growing pains and didn't need changing we were quite lucky back then and again this is through adam and adam's contact network that they were friends with a guy called ian quest who had um, successfully grown a um, consultancy company and he you know he was just interested in what we're doing you know that kind of curiosity and he, he would often volunteer his services as a you know mentor not not even officially just saying you know look if you if you're having this kind of management retreat for the weekend you know can i come along or or we even invited him along and said you know maybe you can help us and then on those instances then those kind of growing pains that's when you'd get someone like ian saying well when, when we did that this is how we approached it or you know a great example is when we were deliberating around you know who to recruit and there's a choice you know, do we recruit that person or that person? And Ian said, well, when, you know, I remember this exact same discussion, you know, four years ago and our advisor back then, our mentor said, hire them both. You know, why wouldn't you if they're that good? And it's advice like that, that is just really valuable because it, it um, help, helps you to get through the decisions that are growing pains and, and the ones that, you know, are straightforward when you've got some advice from someone versus the ones where you have to be a bit more strategic and think about it more and, and make it unique for you. 
I'm trying to decide between going to the sales piece or the uh, the growth piece. I want to touch on the sales piece just because the thing that I'm curious on, and, and a lot of this, the story sounds like it's grown organically, but I get the sense that at some point there was a formalization of some of the things you do to, to help you scale. And I want to come on to that side. But I, I'm interested, Rob, about cracking places like you, you mentioned, Adam mentioned Ford, you know, getting into big organizations like that is exceptionally difficult. And actually, that can be the starting point for consulting firms. So I was, I was speaking to someone yesterday who's who's about nine months into their journey, having launched their own consulting firm. And, and they were saying that's their number one issue is that just getting on PSLs of big banks is almost impossible. Take this either is how did you crack it? Or how do you advise, you know, others you might mentor now? How can people be, you know, what were those skills? What were those things you did that, that people can be using to, to do that? Well, I'll talk about two situations. One, one was the, you know, the origins, if you like, and, and some of it was good fortune, but you make your own luck. And so, I, you know, when I was working in material handling, I talked to everyone and, and, and put myself forward for most things. And, and, and a good example is they had a charity event and they needed to um, recreate the uh, Thunderbirds film environment in, um, in, you know, it, it, on the site. And so I put myself forward into this um, committee. It was a charity committee. And I, I then went off and, and worked with a couple of people to actually you know, go to the, the, the hangar where they were storing some of the props. And we brought, you know, brought a truckload of that stuff back and, and you know, built this up and bought things from the warehouse, oil drums and stickered them up or stenciled them. And, you know, we put a lot of... Uh, free time into creating this environment just because it was fun and you, you know and, and it was just an interesting thing to do anyway the um it turns out later then that five years down the line when we we're in cologne you know the key stakeholder for for then working in that department within ford was the guy that led that project and and so we knew each other from that and you know we were both a bit surprised to realize that he he was on the customer side of what we did and you know, that guy that he knew back then that was kind of running around, um, you know, spray painting stuff was um, was now running this company that did the thing that they were, you know, looking for in, in his department. So, and then, yeah, it, it's re- reputation and relationships, really. Yeah, being open to it and just making sure that you, you knew everyone and that you were talking to people and that you're being curious. And so that was, you know, luck, but also um, doing a few key things and now you know our challenge is how how we replicate that then with new big blue chip oem companies and um we haven't necessarily always got that time to you know have the slow burn within those companies and so charity events i guess either (laughs) and and so that's yeah that that's 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 definitely um a challenge and but it's always going to you know what we're finding is that it's it's about relationships again. It's that network in the industry and finding the people that you know or have heard of you that are now working in those OEMs and getting just, you know, being in touch with all of them and, and getting that lucky break to get to get someone to give you a chance. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of building on the learnings of, of how things um, grew last time and, and doubling down on that, really, in those in those new customers. There's a bit of hindsight in this, but I, I would say getting into new blue chip clients there's probably four ways that i would say were the the main ways um i think way number one is the is the right way to do it i'd say and it's the making the right use of your thought leadership and your referral skills to sort of build your network in the right way and move towards the right senior people so that you make the relations at the the senior enough level and, and they can make their procurement 
departments do what they want to do. And I, so I think that's the, probably the, the right way to do it and the normal way to do it for, for consultancy. But it can be can be very challenging, especially if you're uh, like we were fighting to find our edge in, in that sense. Uh, the other way is, is like the guerrilla way, which is to go completely the opposite. And it's just to go into the bottom and any way you can get some exposure to that client on the ground and that it requires a real sort of opportunistic mindset and and, and one of the things that i mentioned earlier on is this that, that ability to say yes to difficult opportunities i remember for example jaguar land rover in, in the early days of quick release was a, a a real prize that we wanted to, to, to win as an account we'd tried and failed to go in through the front door with um, with purchase and procurement and we didn't have the right uh, contacts at, at the top and one day out of the blue an opportunity to go and do some work through a another third party came up but we didn't have any of the right people in the right place uh, we didn't have any of the right skills at the time but we said yes and I remember working on a project for Ford during the day going on the internet to learn how to use Siemens Team Center product, never used it before, then driving up to the Midlands, working through the night <laughs> as the only one in the office on this project that we said that we'd do, uh, sleeping in my car, going back down to Ford and then rinse and repeating that for a couple of weeks. And, and you look back and think, oh, why did I do that? Why would you ever do that? Why would you, why would you take such a, a risk? But it's the way to do it. It's, it's, it's finding a way and then once you've got a bit of knowledge about potential client, uh, you've got a bit of uh, a network going there, then you can you can build on that and and start to work on that. So that, that's what I would sort of say the gorilla way in is to is to find a way in at the bottom, and then just over time those seeds start to grow and you start to reach up through the organisation. To echo that, when I when I first got that job in Belgium as the um, resident engineer for the supplier. There's a, a line item on the C and, and the um, job application which says, "Can you, you know, are you a, a, a capable user of this system?" And um, I asked around and I said to anyone that I was working with at the time, "Do you know what this system is?" And they said, "Yeah, I think it's this and it does that." And I said, oh, "I'll tick that box then. Yeah, I can use that system." And that that you know that was the kind of blag that got me in there. And and, and you know I did quite well. I, I managed to get you know go two months into the job without having to um, use this system until one day when they, they you know, shouted at and told I had to, you know, create this change in that system within, you know, 10 minutes. And then that was my crash course <laughs> in um, learning, you know, how to, to use that system. But yeah, so I, I, I yeah, I echo, we, we've, we've done these things, whether or, whether or not that's the right way to do it. <laughs> I don't know, but it, it seems to have worked. Adam, back to you. Yeah, and and that's they're like the early seeds of the gorilla. But I mean, that's an extreme example. But there's there's definitely the getting the boots on the ground in the organisation, doing coal face type activities, and then over time using that 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 coal face knowledge that you've got in an, in an organisation that you've targeted to then start to move up through the levels. The other way, I would say, uh, the fourth way is pick somebody that you know and work over time to build a relationship with them such that they they really really want what you do probably somebody in a middle management kind of position 
until such point as they will go into bat for you against against procurement and and do the the bashing down doors so that's a, a probably the um, the knocking on the front door um and and knocking on the back door are the are the side in inroads the the going up through the cellar or or coming in through the uh the loft and the um the, the four four routes into a blue chip. We, we sound like a team of burglars <laughs> <laughs> well and and there's an interesting piece in that because I, I completely get where you're coming from about that sort of relationship side and the you know that concerted sort of bd effort piece right Again, it, you never worked in the, the sort of traditional consultancy, so you, you, you just may never have had this ingrained in you. But there are a lot of people in our industry, just they don't like the BD side or it doesn't come naturally to them. And I'm almost, you mentioned around you know, your model where you had to learn about some people weren't just naturally gifted at it or just naturally it wasn't a skill for them, it was, they needed to learn it. And almost what advice do you give to your junior team now who say, well, oh, actually, yeah, you know, I see what you two do you make it look really easy and you know probably listening back to you now that sounds really easy what advice do you have for those sort of be it the graduates or be it sort of more senior members of your team to start to do exactly what you've said and, and go in through one of those four ways preferably without a rope and a, a bag of swag can, can we do answer this in two parts so I'll, I'll give the kind of historical version and and you you give the new world view um <laughs> and, and um and can one of you explain where that transition came as well? Well, it, um, I think mainly it's because, you know, we, we, in the past we used to have organic growth just because people knew us and, and we would we would have people, you know, we didn't really do business development in, in the, well, not active business development in the first 10 years, I think, because it, most people heard about us. They knew we were good. They knew that we fixed problems and we, and we made people happy. And so you'd get people phoning us up and every now and then you get a phone call out of the blue and they'd say, Oh, you know, hi. We met. We met here. Look, we've we've got a you know a challenge. Can, could you come and help us? And that that was you know largely how the company grew to start with. And um, you know, and then we at a point Adam realised at the right time that we we're going to need to put some business development machinery in place. But the advice that I give to people, you know, is that we, we, all you all you're doing really is connecting people that have a, a need to a, a group group of people, which is us that can can help them. You know, so it's not you're not having to force things onto people. And my my business development in the early years was really just about yeah making friends with people, giving people things without expecting things in return. You know, whether it's advice about the systems or you know creating a macro here or there, or just just. You know, being in, uh, Adam really made a great point earlier on about being interested in other people and taking the time to understand them and what they do and 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 just making life fun for everyone. And when when that happens, people you know like being around you. They want the best for you, and therefore they're looking out for you. And and then you you know you have opportunities um, come to you because of that. And and you know my business development strategy in the early years was was you know going to get coffee in the cafeteria and, and you bump into people and and they you know ah great i'm happy i saw you because you know we've got this thing Do you, could you have a look at it for us and um yeah by by um yeah in, in german there's a phrase called bunter hunt and it, and it means um like a colorful dog and it means that you, you know you're kind of recognized you know by many people and, and it and it's you know it's being that and just being open to encounters and and connections to people and you know it's still happening today that people that we knew as a you know as a friend and you know had had a night out with or something 20 years ago 
you know, that, that person then gives you a call and says, uh, you know, you, you do this thing, don't you? Could you help us on this project? That was, you know, my version of business development back then. And then, and then Adams, um, you know, he, he had his, again, one of his visions. Uh, <laughs> um, my, um, my, my vision, I guess it, it comes back to what I was saying earlier on. I, I think it, it, partly it's luck, but partly it's, it's the people that you're talking to that, that, that influence you. Uh, and at the time where we, it was becoming clear to us that we needed more horsepower around business development. The two things that kind of influenced me, one was that I, in my 20s, I was a failed salesperson. Um, but in, in many things, that just because they don't work out at the time doesn't mean you don't learn from it. And I, so I was selling for an electrical wholesaler, uh, Edmondson Electrical. And I went into it thinking that this is something that I thought I would be good at. And, and I thought, I, I'm reasonably confident. I, I can make relationships with people. I can understand the product technically. Um, so that, that sounds like I should be good at it. But I wasn't. I was terrible. Uh, and then and then got, eventually got fired. But I, I always sort of felt that I, don't, I didn't feel like it was something that was wrong with me. It's just like, it's almost like I didn't have the right toolkit in some way, but wasn't really able to properly articulate that. At the time where we were looking at like, how do we do BD? I was introduced to uh, a guy called Lars Tevez, who ran a sales consultancy. Uh, and he said to me something that kind of stuck with me, which is like, most people think sales is is, is a black art or, or a gift of the gab. And actually, in, in his view, it's not. It was It's something that is a science and a process and something that, and this is probably the most important bit, something that can be taught to very technical people and, and those technical people can become uh, very good at it. They might not want to, <laughs> but they can become very, very good at it. And that sort of resonated with me and my kind of earlier experiences. And so we partnered with them and, and started to build a consultant-led sales model that is, is still uh, 95% of our sales uh, um, today is, is on that model. It's only relatively recently that we started experimenting with with dedicated sales professionals f- from outside of the business. Yeah, and, 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 and over time, we've that process of how you teach technical people the, the science of sales has, has evolved and we've got better at it and we've tried different things but the, the the core principle is still very much there and is and is a key part of our sales model and if it if, if what you were mentioning there is is the piece rob was talking about stop me and and also if this is the secret source you can't share stop me but what are those pieces that you trained your consulting team in that, that let them be successful in selling yeah so i mean there's, there's very different things and and you talk to the team and some of them will be more engaged than than others but as a principle we say things like business development is everybody's responsibility and if you look at the um the the sales continuum is one of the the pieces that 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 we use in our sales training the very left-hand side of the sales continuum you've got hope Uh, but as we all know hope is not a strategy so that is we don't start there the next uh, along on the sales continuum is 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 uh, is listen is, is is use your ears and so we say that the the minimum that everybody can do in the company is listen to what's going on around them you these people are in the client every day often in sort of sensitive sort of um, areas of the client that 
as a salesperson, you're never going to get access to that that level of um, of information. And so we uh, developed a system that we call Hear and Report Back. And that basically says, use your ears whilst you're on projects. If you hear something that sounds like it could be an opportunity for us to have a conversation with somebody, log it in the hearing report back system. That gets passed to one of the more senior members of the um, of the accounts team. And we go and have a conversation. After listen is ask. Um, so the people who are feeling a bit more brave, we encourage them to, to ask for coffee, ask for lunch, ask for a game of tennis, whatever it is. And then... The, the the really sort of advanced people, the really the people who are motivated it into it, then it then it becomes how do you influence clients and 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 uh, and all of that good stuff. But yeah, so that's one. So by making it everybody's responsibility, then then that that's one element of the the secret sauce, if you like. Then we have part of the model that we've evolved to now is we have, um, and it, it comes back to that point I was making earlier on about the glass ceilings. So when we realised we had this unintended glass ceilings. We basically decided what are the five things that we need in our business in order for it to grow. And we called those pillars and they are basically they're just areas of competence that we need within the business, particularly from our consultants and the commercial side of our business in order for it to, to, to grow and function. And one of those pillars is the accounts pillar. And now we actively kind of seek and look for those consultants who are commercially minded and ask them to be involved in the accounts pillar. They're still on project, but a portion of their time is is focused around opportunities and and and, and identifying opportunities and and growing your network and then the, the the ones that succeed in that get some low level account management responsibilities we split all of accounts into field of plays so within a a large blue chip automotive client for example a field of play might be the um, body uh, team and um, so we may give um, a, a more junior account manager responsibility for that field of play and, and then they can start to sort of develop the, the account management skills and, and eventually take on their own account but it all starts as they have to bill for their time they have to achieve their recovery rate but they have a portion of their time dedicated to, to account management and sales. I think there's two big things that have come out from, from both the, I guess what you call the old way and the new way. And I think the, the structure of that new way, I, I, I think, is a really interesting piece. And, you know, that, that continuum alone and the, the account approach, I think it often, you know, like you were saying, and, and you're not the first people to mention Lars. So there might be a, a guest slot for him if you're listening, <laughs> Lars. He's a great guy. I think he's um, he, he left SBR at the end of last summer. So he's, he's looking for his, um, his final swan song. Uh, so <laughs> it might be a good time to talk to him. <laughs> but actually putting that structure around it and also, I guess, you know, little things like you were saying with that sort of, you know, hear, listen and report back is I think being those eyes and ears can be such a such a big piece and actually something that a lot of firms maybe don't put enough stock into is actually what are your team just hearing by the water cooler, by the coffee machine. And I guess, you know, Rob, Rob, your point, and I know Adam touched on it right at the start about be interested in other people. I guess that goes throughout all of the structures you've got as well. And you, you, I'm going to write it down, the German for colourful dog, because I'm going to stick with that. I might even start using it myself. What was the, what was the German um, for colourful dog? Um, bunter Hunt. Bunter Hunt. Yeah. Is that, is yeah, that a phrasing? Is, is that a phrase? And, and Hund is dog. Bunter Hunt. <laughs> is, is that now a phrase used across qr or is that just a i actually i used it in the um the training we, we so we w- one of the things we do is um 
the directors are still very much involved in um, training. We have this thing called boot camp, which is four weeks of um, um, residential training when people come on board. And um, yeah, so you, you have members of the board in there delivering training just to keep, you know, keep us close to them and then close to us and to, you know, convey some of the experience. But um, yeah, I, I, I added it in a slide. I think it was, um, I think it was my wife actually that, because uh, I, I ended up um, marrying a lady from, from the customer. And um, when, whenever she mentioned my name, they said, oh, Rob, yeah, we know him. And and um, and then, yeah, someone eventually said, oh, yeah, he's a, a Bunterhund. Um, <laughs> Was it on your yeah. um, German citizenship test? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that counted towards it. I'm sure there must have been someone in there doing administration who... Who, who must have heard of me from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's one of those points, I guess, that, you know, it's, people say kindness costs nothing. And actually, I think it's so easy when you're on a, particularly, say, in a consulting project where you've got deadlines to hit, you've, you know, you, you're really sort of under pressure to deliver, to almost forget those little things. And actually, like you've, you've both highlighted, simply being interested in other people. One of my early guests mentioned it's, she sort of framed it as it's amazing how interesting people get when you become interested in them. But I, I think it's a hugely powerful piece. And, and, you know, like you both said, it's something, I guess, it doesn't matter what level you are, be it graduate through to director level, actually just being a, a bunter hunt is, a, you know, is going to stand you in good stead. And then obviously putting those structures around it sort of lets you amplify that. Yeah. I think that brings us quite nicely on to actually the scaling piece. Because I, I think, Something that, you know, when, when Adam, you were talking about the, the structures around sales, you know, the, the question for me, and we'll dig into the, to sort of other areas, is you scaled the business to, to, like you said, 200, and I think 211 fee earners, you said, which is actually a very, in our industry, I think I mentioned either at the start of the interview or just beforehand, you know, there aren't a lot of businesses that get to that size. They're usually bought, and I know, you know, we'll come on to your sort of the recent acquisition, but they usually sell out a lot earlier than that or just never get there. And I, I'm really interested in almost, we talked about sales and you've obviously put a lot of thought into that. What were those other five pillars and what were some of those structures that you put in place to to help accelerate that growth and, and let you build to that size? Yeah, I mean, I think the five pillars was our way of, of capturing all of the the thoughts and the needs that we knew we had as a business in order to to sort of open up the next chapter of growth but it really the, the idea to sort of structure it around the five pillars came from the glass ceilings um conversations and and we knew that we there was like five areas of competence that we needed to to get right across the the, the sort of the, the majority of our business and we wanted to give people um, early on in their careers sort of line of sight of those things that we needed so that they could start to make their own decisions and start planning their own careers and start shaping their own development in a way that was going to lead to a place that they wanted to be uh, and so we, we we coined the phrase that it was um, five pillars and therefore five directions of travel uh, and anyone wherever they are in the business whether they were about to join with us on day one been with us for a couple of years or, or indeed been with us for sort of five or ten years the door would always be open to them for five directions of travel either onwards and upwards in in an area that they are currently in or a sideways move into an area that they were interested in and so those five areas were the, the how we sell more work i.e the, the the accounts and business development side of things the um what our offering to, to market um is and 
how are we going to build the thought leadership that we need in order to find our edge in the market and, and really start to command um, a, a, a premium for what we do and, and, and sort of move up that, that value chain. Uh, and also start to that area of the service offerings pillars is, is about like having a roadmap for the work that you do. So if you're doing a project for a client, you don't come to it and get the brief, deliver the project, write a case study and, and, and move on. It's You're always thinking, right, where is this project on the roadmap of things that we want to develop in this area? Uh, and so what, what piece of IP can we get out of this project and, and how are we going to iterate that into the into the next project? So all that sort of area of the business, um, we, we wrapped up into a service offerings pillar. Through some of the insight that Ian Quest had brought into the business and through some insight that one of our other um, superstars who, who was a homegrown, a guy called Nick Solly, there was a couple of area of specific competence that we had. One was... Um, the special projects team who are our internal software development team so they're developing tools smart tools for our consultants to use on the job and and, and help sort of build the the edge uh, for those those consultants so they're sort of so just just to be clear they're proprietary tools for you to as opposed to tools you're developing for clients is that right it started out that way but more and more these days the quest for an edge has taken us to a point where we are developing software as a service type tools where we license it to clients and provide the support network that goes around it in order to deliver an outcome and yeah so that was one competency Uh, another competency was was focused around how we do consulting that has got more of a an operational performance improvement characteristic to it i.e how do we deliver pound notes measurable value improvements to our clients businesses that's directly attributable to the work that we do and in complex engineering that's easier to say and harder to do so we we had a a group that were dedicated to figuring out that puzzle so we wrapped those together into a technical pillar because the the skills that those different competency groups required were very specific for those competency groups and 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 something that took a, a a lot of development in order to get there we also still had a real strong need for people who can manage other people and look after each other pastorally and look after people's development and have those really good uh, quality development conversations and that we wrapped into the org pillar organization pillar and then the fifth pillar was like we were weak at project delivery and so we wanted to reinforce that side of our business and, and really start to bring in some some decent project management methodology and build some real competency around project management both for our clients and for ourselves so they, those were the the sort of the five big needs if you like that we wanted to develop competency in but we wanted them to be open to everybody um, in the business so there's this idea that okay these are these are the pillars and everybody can shoot for one of the pillars or more of the pillars at any given time if that's where they want to go i think there's a something to be said as well about the core values of the company right right for the very start especially when um i i think this is another thing that adam brought so whereas adam grant and i adam grant being you know the one focused on risk and and saying right okay if we're if we're going to do this what you know what's the process for doing it and how do we mitigate the risk and i think adam blomley his his background is uh, well part one of his backgrounds is teaching and 
this idea of imparting information and, and knowledge and experience to someone and then letting them you know try it and uh, the, the experimentation and and Adam did that a lot in the beginning where we had people where you know there's an opportunity or or a, you know a project that needed to be managed and Adam was very very readily gave them the chance to to own that and and learn through experience of running it or or delivering it or you know acquiring it or whatever the, whatever it was and Nick Solly's a great example of that where you know Nick had these talents and and we we let Nick get on and do what he, he did best and you know, without trying to put too much framework around it and, and trusting people and and that that really worked for us and that's that stayed with us through quickly so you know we we're Adam said we haven't got MBAs. We've not we we've not come from the the big consultancy. So we're we're all you know been learning by doing and um, that humility around well you know what you know there's nothing to say that we're going to be better at doing it than you are. So here here's our advice. Here's our you know here's what we here's a few pointers. But we we trust you go and make it happen. And, and that that's kind of underpinned I think where a lot of the the growth. The fact that we didn't need to supervise everything, which which allowed things then to grow by itself. I'm going to pick on the the culture piece. I, I want to come back to the the five the five pillars. But how did you maintain that as you grew? Because it's an obvious one, but an interesting one is as businesses grow, that culture changes. You know, you, you went from from four of you to to forty to you know to, to the two hundred and upwards. How did you maintain that culture, not just across yourselves as the founder directors, but across the, the whole business so that that essence of what helped you to grow to where you are has, has been retained? I think culture is something that nobody ever gets totally right. And, and I think we are no different. We have for a long time been very conscious of our culture and conscious of trying to put the right kind of reinforcing and and primary embedding mechanisms in place so for example i've always quite liked transparency so from the early days of the company we've we've sort of opened the books to the employees and 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 showed them this is where all the money goes and this is how much we've made and um and this is where we spent it all and this is how much we've paid ourselves and this is how much we've paid you and all that all that stuff uh, and I think that is... sorry, sorry, Adam. I'm gonna. I, I don't want to interrupt you too much. I just that feels like a really interesting piece. I mean, how transparent are we talking? Is it to the point where you said this is what we've taken home this year? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we used to we used to publish all that, and 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 now our pay scale is 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 is, is transparent. So there's different job sizes for all the different roles in the business, and and everyone on the same job size gets paid the same amount. Uh, and that's all published. So it's sort of uh, been a, it's been something that's worked for us. Uh, and I think that that's one example of of, of trying to sort of promote a, a culture. Another example could be the idea that um, we, we grew up as a as a business, as a group of friends, and and have tried to keep that going as as much as we can, uh, and really sort of emphasise the idea of looking out for each other and supporting each other, and 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 thinking of each other as human beings and caring for each other so i think we have had those things that we've deliberately pursued and deliberately tried to put in place policies and mechanisms to to keep them i think there's probably elements of the culture that has had to evolve there's a there was a time where we were probably quite laddish 
when in a male-dominated industry as a, as a relatively small company um, of, of people in the 20s and 30s going out was, was, was part of that that culture but that's one thing that as we've grown and become more diverse that we've sort of looked at and said do you know what I think we need to lose that now and we need to, to try and change things. Can you remember what the trigger was Blom for that we sat around I remember it was at Alex's house we sat around together and tried to put some you know des- describe culture I, I can't remember what it was but there was a point in time where we, where we actually thought okay we need to I think it's probably from your brother yeah yeah Ben Blomley he's yeah so Ben Blom has been one of these people that is also really and, and I, I'd say this is one of the top tips I know you're going to ask later on but this is one of the top tips is you know surround yourselves by great people but and and there'll be people that have got you know really good advice and and you know seek their advice and their counsel and and ben blomley's very insightful you know smart guy he he has got a consultancy background and and he he you know he kind of knows more than we do probably about running businesses and you know we, we've got the practical experience but he you know he's he regularly raises topics that that are, are relevant and, and solution, you know, like OKRs, for example. You know, he introduced that to quick release. But yeah, he mentioned culture and said, right, well, let's let's write this down. So we were, we sat down together and we said, well, what what is it that you know, what is it we're doing? What is it? That, what are our values? And how how could you boil that down to um, you know some simple ones that we can then have as our reference? And, um, you know, Quick Release is quite a playful company. And we talked, you know, when we started coming up with um, ideas, it, it became apparent that we, it was going to be a play on the, the, the QR Quick Release. And, and so we, we came up with these four values at, at that time. And they seemed to encompass, you know, we, we checked all of the stuff we were doing and said, actually, do you know, what? these are these fit really well with, you know, our beliefs and the philosophy behind the company and, and you know you can add ex- explanations to them and then that gives people a bit of direction about when they have to make decisions especially when you're giving people autonomy you know people need to know the guiding principles but when making decisions and um yeah back then those those values were quality releasing and, and you know i think the important word is quality the fact that you know we're folk we're data product data company and it's all about accuracy and excellence and quality of work and the, the other one was quality relationships. We've we've talked about that a lot in this chat around yeah the the you know genuine human relationships, not just for business sake, but but because you know you know we're on a planet full of humans, and that's that's um, important, and we we care about each other. You've got the quick response, which re- refers to the customer service side of things. So he said if. If, if, if the customer is going to be choosing between you know two companies that do some work which which ones are they going to go for when they don't necessarily know the the, the, the you know the quality capabilities of those companies and it's always going to come down to the service side of things if they've got good experience with you and and they get you know the the response and the communication's great then they, they're going to work with you and the fourth one was um, quite refreshing and that was the, the idea that we were different and we were different because we weren't following a you know business roadmap it was we were making it up as we went along but we, we were being successful you know so and, and we we yeah we thought differently we had we had a refreshing approach to everything we did and and it was a you know joy de vivre attitude and 
yeah, that that's changed these days. Well, that last one's changed. So, because what we realise is actually this quite refreshing. That actually underpins everything we do, and that's that's like the headline for the company. And um, we've got a new fourth one now, which is curious, spelled Q R, um, you know, I O U S. And um, you know that that idea that we, you know, we're people that don't accept the status quo. We want to know more. We we want to understand why things work the way they do and how we can improve them. And we use that whenever we, you know, when we did um, personal development or performance reviews, uh, we use those as the reference to build that that structure. And so people became used to it becoming part of the, you know, the, the, the daily, weekly, monthly, you know, runnings operations of the business. And so, yeah, people began to refer to them and, and you know, it'd be funny in, in some conversations, you know, people would bring up one of the values and, and you think, wow, people actually kind of get it or they're, they're, they're actually referring to these things. And um, they weren't made up. They, these, these were, you know, distillations of these came from us. And so we lived them. And the, the people that we hired that, you know, became uh, management and leadership figures, you know, we hired them in, in that image. And, and so they... But you know, really believed them and and operated in in that, you know, according to those values, and so I think that's that's a really um, powerful factor around culture. The fact that pe- you know the, the leadership team are living it and and genuinely sticking to it and and caring about those things, not not just because they're following a manual, but because they are those types of people, and that's that that's the type of people we're recruiting. This is the point in most interviews where I, I look at the clock and think there's there's hours more we could talk about chaps and I almost to, to tie off this this piece because I think there's there's been tons in there around the different aspects and I'm conscious I know I think Adam I said I'd, I'd come back to the five and I might do and it it might be a quick one so I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw it out there and if it's if it's a quick answer you can tell me is you talked about sort of those five different pillars and the, I really like by the way the compass analogy as well because I think. Too often in consulting, it can seem like a very linear uh, approach, which creates those glass ceilings. And I love the the metaphor of actually you can you know you can go in your own direction, and it helps you and helps the company. But was there a sixth or seventh that you threw out, and if so, why? How did you settle on five? I, I don't think we have thrown anything out now, so it could be a quick answer. I think probably what we've done is is um, compromised, and and where something doesn't quite fit. Uh, neatly to the model we um, we just kind of make it fit um, <laughs> so that's the nice thing when you're um, when you when you're making things up yourself you you don't need you <laughs> can rewrite the rules yeah and, and it's it's a blueprint and then you you come up with a blueprint and then people pick that up and they go and make it reality and then hundreds of times people come to something that that we never thought about and say well how does this work uh, and then they, they find a way to make it work <laughs> i liken it to you know that we were we were coming up to this next five years and and, and blom goes off up the mountain and and you know after a period of time he comes back down carrying these tablets which are the you know his vision for the five pillars and, um, you know, he, he kind of presents it and there's this moment of enlightenment and everyone gets it. And it's like, wow, this is yeah, brilliant. This is this is the thing that's going to get us, you know, through the next five years. And then, you know, then then the kind of, we, we you know, we go away and then, and then the questions start to pop up. And then it's like, oh, yeah, well, OK, how, how are we going to do that? And someone else has understood it a bit differently. And then and then the real work comes to then actually 
you know, implement that and, and make that part of the, the day-to-day life. And at that point, Adam says, well, look, you know, he, I've created the vision. Go away and make it happen. <laughs> I'm imagining a tapestry or a stained glass window in the office. Um, so I, conscious we, we've got to the growing part of, of quick release. And as much as I say I, these interviews jump around, they, I do tend to like a, a story and a, you know, a bit like a film. And I guess the, the interesting part of your journey that we mentioned a, a bit earlier is, is actually that you sold the business last year and you know, still heavily involved, still growing the business. And I, I guess really interested to dig into that and almost understand you know, how that came in. Was that part of one of these five-year plans where you know, Adam came down with his stone tablets and on, you know, one of them said, sell the business? Where, where did that come from? And, and almost where does that sort of lead you into that next chapter as well? So I think, I think it came in through, um, like most things in quick release, uh, it came in through Rob. So a, a, a relationship that he made. Once that relationship had, had brought the, the sort of the opportunity for the sale to the table, I, th- I think the decision to do it was a couple of things. One thing, being brutally honest, it was it was really nice to take some risk personally, it's kind of off the table, and and some of that value and turn it into into cash in our bank accounts, especially at a time where we we're all in our early forties and still got stuff that we wanted to do with money and got young children and families that we're we're sort of trying to raise. So it was nice to have. That, that the money and 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 realise some of that value at this point in our lives. Um, so that's I think being brutally honest, that's one reason. But the other reason is, and it sort of comes to the question of why didn't we just take in some some VC investment? It wasn't really a cash decision. It, it, we, the business has always been funded through cash that the business has generated. So we've never brought in debt and never needed to brought in debt. And you could argue that maybe we should have grown the business faster if we had debt, but we never felt like it was the cash holding us back. So we didn't we didn't need to unlock a chunk of investment in that sense to, to unlock the next chapter of, of growth. But what was appealing was Alten were a a French global multinational engineering services business and their their list of their top 20 clients was our wet dream for in terms of a a, a new a new a new 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 accounts that we wanted to open and so we'd in the years running up to the deal we'd articulated this vision that we wanted to become number one the, the most globally recognized consultancy in the, in the in the specialist niche that we do and we saw this as just a way to get to that 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 global domination dream much faster and <laughs> yeah and, and with, with some assistance so it was a it was a a reward for the work done uh, and then a an acceleration of the of the of the dream uh, that we saw in the deal yeah and it, that 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 framing when when we you know because it's the company's so precious to us and we we you know love what we do and we love the people in the business and that's what makes it so nice to be there because it's you know it's one of the things where you genuinely enjoy coming into work every day because of the the people and, and the you know over, over and above any of the commercial side of things and and so when yeah when we had this approach when when it very quickly became framed as yeah an investment to to take the company further and to you know to to help us you know achieve the vision and, and our mission quicker 
and and far yeah faster bigger than we thought we could do that became really exciting and adam said you know it's great to to bank some of the hard work that you've been putting in over the years but then that idea that the company was going to yeah go go beyond anything that we we could have achieved you know solely by ourselves was then the thing that got everyone on board and got everyone excited and they then wanted that and um, we we talked <clears throat> because for us that the reward from the company is you know the cash aside it's that everyday fellowship and friendship then the you know the pieces of paper you know with the share ownership on it and owning a company and, and any perceived prestige that, that came with that was irrelevant you know we, it was it was perfect so we got to you know have this opportunity to yeah fulfill our our, our dreams around creating the the world's best love pdm consultancy you know and still you know be steering the ship and and be working with the people that we we all think are super cool and then so it's a yeah it, it very quickly for us became a no-brainer some really powerful stuff in there and it's it's interesting to hear that way it, it aligned with the business goals and obviously your, your personal goals with that and i just how did it come about was it it was as part of your vision like you say for world domination adam that we need that partner was it that you know they just happened to to knock on the door and you know fortune favors the bold what was there's two, two things i'd say to this one of the one of them is that we've sometimes been naive in the sense that we we you know we this wasn't the first approach but it, we were quite naive about the idea of selling the company i don't know if adam had it on his roadmap but i'd, I'd never thought that we would you know sell the company it was it was just kind of growing the company and, and continuing to be a great place to be and and i i think you know if we were going to do things again you know, I think there are a few roadmaps that you can follow and that will help you and, and you know, you could be more prepared for the, the growth phases, etc. And secondly, Adam mentioned it earlier on, it's about being open to opportunities. So whether that's, you know, someone saying, do you think you could have a crack at this and saying, yeah, we'll have a go or, you know, you're meeting someone that does something interesting and saying, you know, have you ever thought of joining a company like ours? It's just being open to opportunities and saying yes to things, and 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 more often than not, that that will take you in a positive direction. Yeah, and we will wrap up shortly with your your career advice. And I think there's you know, some some really powerful points in there. It's it's funny. I think I think I mentioned this on podcast before. I, when I was seventeen, I had a badminton coach who who was much wiser than his years. But I always remember one of the things he said was that sort of you make your own luck, and actually looking out for those opportunities and finding them when they come is a really, you know, a really powerful piece. And, and I'm interested then just to round us off, what, what does that next phase hold? Now you're, you know, now you're part of, of the sort of answering group. What is the plan for the, the next few years? What, is, what does that hold for quick release and, and how close are you to world domination? I think this is, this is where it gets quite interesting. I think we're not close to world domination and it's become obvious that just having access to potentially a load of new clients doesn't necessarily guarantee a winning ticket and I think it's becoming clear to me that we've, we're sort of at another inflection point and there's some other things that that we need to figure out as a business and, and one of those for example is that we've, we've grown up especially amongst the leadership with a real sort of collegiate mentality where we sort of take collective responsibility for, for a lot of things even if we put like names against items that the, the execution is often a, very much a collective and have a sort of a a collective accountability that goes with it and that especially works within our group because there's, there's a real friendship there and if somebody is is failing or struggling then somebody will always kind of step into their place 
but actually as as we're trying to sort of scale the business now and and, and scale it quite rapidly towards this this global domination I think that's holding us back a little bit and actually figuring out how we get the right people in the right seats with the right lines of accountability and the right incentives is 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 the next kind of big question that's going to or one of the next big questions uh, that's going to determine our success in 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 this this global domination chapter another big question is the monetization of our of our strategy for, for global domination do we get there by doing what we do today but just doing a lot more of it uh, and being a lot bigger or do we reform the business around a much higher value proposition uh, so that we're adding uh, a lot more value to our clients for the work that we do and and, and winning bigger pieces of work uh, around what we do um, in, individually as, as, as single pieces of work and, and get to that world domination through that that route so there's these sorts of big questions that, that are sort of starting to open up in front of us that, that we that we don't know the answer to uh, and they're going to very much sort of dictate whether we're ultimately successful in the next few years I'd say. Well I think uh, Adam you, you've teed us up perfectly for a round two in a, a year or two years time <laughs> where we can we can come back and you can give us the frameworks for for those questions you know they I think it's they're really you know, great questions to leave us on, and I think the thing that's come out through throughout this conversation is the the structures you're at, you've been able to put in place, and the the cat you know the ability to catch the inflection points and and build the structures around them that you need to keep the business growing is obviously one of the the key things that's led to to your success. Um, we've got three last questions, and these are ones that I ask every guest. And just before you go into those questions, I, I was going to say, um, in light of what Adam was saying, I think if there's if there's people listening to this podcast and um, they are the the wise was it squash coaches or, or, or badminton in my badminton case, badminton yeah. coaches, yeah, out there that that has some good advice for Adam and myself, then please do get in touch. And likewise, if you're um, you know a, a, a potential customer. Um, and you you think you could help us execute our um, growth strategy for the next three years and also uh, do get in touch with us as well. <laughs> Thank you for that, Robert. I will give you another chance to to do that at the end as well. So you've, you've got your chance to pitch later as well. So the last three questions, and actually it's four questions because the three are questions and the fourth is really your chance to say exactly what you just did again. These are ones I ask all my guests and I'll let you decide whether you, you have a, a combined answer, you each have an answer. I'm open to to both options. So the first question is one about books. And and, and I realize I should probably broaden this, this question out to just anything that has had an impact on you. I'll give you the, the question as, as I ask it and take it where you want. So I'm a big reader of business books and a big believer that you can learn a ton from just reading how others have done it before. And and you know one of the reasons I do this podcast is I learn, and I know my, my listeners are so much from my, my guests, but when it comes to books or other resources, um, what is it that has had the, the biggest impact on you or you find yourselves giving or recommending to others most often? This is a point where Adam probably complains <laughs> about the amount of um, articles that I send him and, and the rest of the team. Because <laughs> uh, the, uh, there's, there's, um, one, of, one of my parts of the business is the um, organisation part of the business and therefore I'm you know, very interested in uh, personal development and, and you know, how people work. 
So that's you know always really interesting, and I and I think uh, every book you read, every article you read starts you know add, adds to that puzzle of of how he works. So I, I don't have a specific recommendation, but it's that kind of genre of um, education and all, and all the new exciting thoughts that come out as well, and, and especially opinions about you know the, you know feedback and how to do it, and and that that's the thing that gets me excited. And and I think um, yeah, there's a, there's a a lot that you can learn there around that subject that is you know quite often taken for granted it's not a business book i would go for rich dad poor dad as the as the book that's kind of influenced me most personally Uh, it's really stuck with me through most of my adult life and also play dungeons and dragons stuff that takes you into your imagination uh, can have a surprising positive impact on on your life in the future we, we always joke that quick release is an extension of one of uh, blum's um, imaginary worlds <laughs> and, and, and kind of, you know, these civilization growths that it, that he was doing back then as a as a small boy he's, he's now um take we're one of his experiments <laughs> I love it, chaps. And you know, for both Rob, I think that just that genre of personal development, I'm a massive believer as well. I think, um, I think finally it's it's coming to its own. I think you know, even ten years ago, even you know, even five years ago, people sort of looked looked down a bit on you know, it was called self help. And I, I'm I'm massively with you. I think the you know what you can learn and the knowledge out there in that personal development space is huge. And and you know, Adam. I think Rich Dad Poor Dad is a is a fascinating book, and if we had longer, we could we could talk all about what and why. I also I love the I love the imagination thing, and I, actually it's something I'm I'm probably guilty of myself, um, and I always say these things because I know my wife she doesn't listen that often, but if she ever does listen, she'll tell me off for not. And it's just I probably am guilty of not spending enough time doing like you, you know, just taking time to spend time in your imagination, play those sort of games. Just I guess focus on something that isn't work because it's when you're not looking at straight at the problem is when you can have some of those best ideas and then so the final question for both of you and again this is take it how you want but it's, it's very much a recap which is you have three people in front of you one of them is just starting their career in consulting so take one of your graduates for instance one of them is four to five years in so they're far enough down the road that they know what's going on you know they may be starting to look at where they sort of steer their career and then the final person is somebody who is usually in terms of approaching partner but it might be someone like yourselves at sort of when you were 30 you know that sort of age where you're you're either going to take an equity position in a consulting business or maybe go out on your own and 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 the simple question is is what one piece of advice would you give to each of them certainly the person starting out my advice is you know don't ask for things like promotion ask for opportunities ask for experiences and um you know there's there's a lot to learn at the beginning and there's you know if you're one of the good ones then that that will become apparent and those promotion opportunities and opportunities to progress they'll come to you and um you'll be thanked for that approach i think my um advice to somebody starting out is going to be quite similar to that i i offer i like the iceberg model so if you're starting out and there's somebody that you look up to as a role model and you want to emulate, the one-eighth of um, their combined things that made them successful is, is, is the bit that you see and the visible portion of, of, of what they're great at. But actually, it's the stuff that you don't see that is that what got them to that place. So it's thinking about the, 
the seven eighths that, that that support that one eighth of visible success, and then how you're going to grow your own personal iceberg uh, that I would focus on. And that, for those person, people that are mid-career, then I, I would be looking at, well, I'd, I'd suggest that they look at where can they add value to the business? Where can they take the business in their own unique way that is a, yeah, a value add for the company so that you're not you know, looking to be carried? You know, if, if you can come up with that, that new thing, that innovation or, or that ownership, you know, the company will back you and, um, you know, you'll, you'll get the opportunity then to kind of have your small empire whatever it is and and yeah you you get all the benefits you need from that but you'll be bringing them to the business so that's that's my advice i struggle with the four to five years question because i guess i i never really experienced it i i had lots of stuff sort of starting out and then i albeit on a smaller scale was was in a in a partnership kind of position albeit in a in an organization that itself was growing so if I look at our organization now, the people that come through the business now are not necessarily the same as the people who came through the business when it was smaller. And I don't know what is right or wrong, but there's definitely a clear difference. And finding people with an entrepreneurial mindset who can make their way to the top of a a larger business on a on a single career path is quite difficult and we found it easier to find the entrepreneurial mindset people when we were much smaller so yeah I don't know what the answer to it is but I guess it's part of it is evaluating where you see yourself do you see yourself as as somebody who is going to be a an important cog in a, in a larger organization or do you see yourself as starting your own consultancy business and having that sense i think would dictate the sorts of things that you're going to try and do at that period great and for the for the final one it's got to be more than the sum of its parts so whatever thing that you end up taking ownership of has got to be incremental to everybody's value otherwise you're dead man's shoes otherwise you're simply waiting to replace somebody else who's done something Um, whereas if you can bring a new element to a a business or a partnership or a new angle or uh, deliver some value or an element of a service offering that that is new to that particular organization so that you're creating value for everyone that's that's what i would look for these days in a prospective new partner my advice to those people that are thinking about, you know, going out there and starting something themselves, and that that's don't don't spend too much time on this theory or the or the paperwork or creating PowerPoint presentations. You really, as quickly as possible, got to get out there in front of people, you know, getting your product out there and having conversations and and making it real as quickly as possible because you'll have plenty of time to tune it and change the messaging and you know work out you know what the commercials look like but if you if you kind of sit in a room thinking about it too much then you're you're going to miss what's going on and you always struggle to connect well i think that is a, a great place for us to to leave tonight chaps i'm conscious it's late for us and probably even later for you rob my time difference isn't great it, you're well, an hour ahead of us my, my last meeting yesterday was at midnight uh, so that so that I could be on online for the Australia and uh, North America at the same time. 
So this this is uh, this is an early finish for me. It's comparatively early. Well, I'm I'm glad I could could give you that. And so so the last he started last at eight question. p.m. though. He doesn't mention that bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, so the last question, and I think you preempted it a little earlier, Rob. But it's uh, for anyone who who wants to find out more about yourselves or find out more about Quick Release. Where would you point them to? Uh, where can they get in touch? So yeah, I mean the obvious place is, is hit, um, look us up on the website. So um, you know Google Quick Release and, and you'll find us. Um, Adam Blomley and myself are on LinkedIn. Uh, so yeah, do get in touch. We you know love, love hearing from people and being connected to people. Yeah, especially if you if you're running a business and and kind of you've got data and information problems that are giving you stress, then um, we, we'd love to hear from you because we like making people happy and. And um, you know, and get, getting rid of their stress problems. Brilliant. Well, I think on that note, chaps, uh, we will we will call it a day. So all that's left to say is is thank you very much and all the best for the rest of your week. You too. Thanks, Nick. Nick, thank you very much. It's been a great experience and um, yeah, lovely talking to you. Cheers, chaps. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.